Hey, hello, everybody. Um, this is uh, season one, episode one for Seahawks Talk on the Blue Wave podcast with Sean and Travis. And uh, I thought I would just go solo to start talking about some Seahawks notes. Um, and obviously, Travis will be joining me, and Travis and I will be together almost all year doing these for you guys. But I uh, wanted to just kind of piggyback uh, what we've seen so far in training camp. So we've had uh, eight or nine solid days now of, of training camp where the players have come in, um, starting to get in their groups, take notes and things like that. On-field work's going on. We had the mock game uh, this last weekend. So wanted to just go over uh, some offense and defensive notes, some things that we've seen. And I wanted to uh, provide this to you guys in the podcast because I think it just lets you have a snapshot. You know, we're gathering information from a lot of sources, so I thought condensing this for you guys uh, would be would be helpful. So um, with that, I want to start with the offense and just some, some things I've heard um, and seen so far out of the training camp, uh, Virginia Mason Athletic Center there in Renton. So um, one really interesting thing so far is Russell Wilson has noted that uh, there's a different feeling he has with, with Schottenheimer and that offense. And you know what? You have to wonder if what he's referring to is his chemistry with Schottenheimer or what Schottenheimer's providing him is a lot different than Daryl Bevel, and in a good way. And I think what's going on is um, Russ alluded to their passion lines up. Well, we know Russ is a hard worker, so I think you know a very passionate football player, obviously, will stay really late uh, to look at the tape and do anything it takes, really. I mean, he's, he's that kind of soldier on the team. But um, I think he's saying, too, that Schottenheimer and him have this, I've used the word before, but this, this chemistry where they both have the same... Um, kind of thought process in mind, you know, the hard work needed and things like that. But maybe Russ is also saying that he prefers a guy like Schottenheimer over Bevel. And this is going to be huge for us because this might lead to uh, further development of Wilson, if that's even possible at this point. I guess it is when you're a quarterback, right? You can always strive to be better but um, and do better. But uh, this is, to me, this is news because this is uh, something saying, hey, maybe what Wilson's saying to everybody, because we know in a press conference he's, these cliches for the most part, but maybe what he's saying is this is different. It, it feels different, but it's a good different. And um, he's just kind of giving us a little bit of an insight to that, a little preview of what he's, what maybe, what, what maybe is to come here, right? Um, a couple other notes on the offense. So Brandon Marshall, right? He's an older wide receiver. Um, and, you know, everybody's thinking twilight of his career, um, a lot of people have said, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to look okay, but he's going to fade away. His conditioning and things like that aren't going to hold up. And conditioning for him is still, I'd say, a question mark. We, we, don't, we don't know. Pete, Pete Carroll's alluded to, you know, um, he's limiting plays on Marshall uh, in training camp and then in the mock game because he's still working on all that conditioning and coming off, you know, coming off of uh, some injuries and things like that. So that's understandable. But um, on the positive side uh, – now, I've heard that Marshall's had seven or eight uh, main targets now, uh, mock game and then uh, through practice, and three or four of them have been touchdowns. And he's coming over the top. He's looking really good. He's, you know, he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's that big body. He's jumping. He's catching the ball. So this might mean that uh, maybe Marshall's looking a little bit better than even the Hawks thought when they brought him in and said, you know, we'll take a flyer basically on this guy and uh, see what happens. Because Hawk fans, we all know that's kind of what, what we're doing here. I mean, we're, we're known to do this. You bring a big body receiver in, you know, I, I think of the Terrell Owens situation, right? Obviously that didn't, didn't work out. 
but it's a similar idea. You know, you have this older wide receiver that comes in and it's the back end of their career. How much do they have left in the tank? Will they make the team or not? Um, to me, it's just notable that Marshall's sort of in that area where, you know what, there's more to be revealed on this, but I think his start on training camp has been really positive and he's played pretty well. So that's a, that's a great thing. And then maybe uh, what it's going to end up coming to fruition here is he's a red zone target for Russ. Even if he's not in that many plays a game, maybe he's the new red zone package for his size. Maybe he's the new Jimmy Graham in that regard. You know, somebody that if Russ can get better at, at throwing a jump ball, because I don't believe he's very good at it, right? Any of us have watched the last few seasons with Jimmy. Um, maybe this is what the solution is, you know? Uh, so saying that, I'm going to piggyback on another wide receiver that we brought in that's a plus-size receiver. <clears throat> Not as big as Marshall, but uh, John Brown. So, you know, John Brown is a 6'2", 210", 215-pound receiver. And so he's also kind of in that larger mold there, trying to find a, a bigger possession guy to kind of complement the Baldwins and Lockets uh, on, this, on this roster. But uh, what I've heard and what I've seen is that Brown and Wilson have developed a pretty good chemistry as well. Um, in the Mott game, they were 6-for-6 six six, uh, completion-wise, which is, which is great anywhere, really. Um, and Pete Carroll said that, that Brown looks really steady and he's doing everything right. He's running all the right routes. He's football smart and he's, he's ready to play. So um, this is really good news. I, I, I didn't know him that well as a Cardinal. You know, we'd play the Cardinals and I'd, I'd see him and go, oh, that guy looks athletic. He's a bigger receiver and whatnot. But this is great news. So, so far with Brandon Marshall and, and Jaron Brown, like this is, this is good stuff. This is good stuff to hear because uh, we're pretty stacked at receiver coming into the uh, – well, options at receiver coming to this this camp. So we need to start to be able to get an idea of maybe where we're going with this thing. So it's nice to start hearing some success stories as we go. And the negatives will come too, of course, but this is, this is just a way to kind of get an idea. So I wanted to also, um, talking about uh, receivers, mention that it's interesting. Um, we all know Tyler Lockett had that horrific injury and uh, two seasons ago now. And last year, he's admitted he was 75 or 80%. And we could see that. I mean, his, his return speed was just not, not the same. He lost a step, maybe even two steps. Um, just the explosion wasn't there. But now um, we're seeing that that explosion looks like it's back. I mean, he's laterally way quicker. He's got that burst. And he's getting separation um, in camp. So this is, this is a good indication, you know, um, if we get the Tyler Lockett we all hoped we'd get, especially because this is a contract year for him, I think him and, you know, as long as Baldwin's uh, healthy, because Baldwin's dealing with some issues, but we know Doug Baldwin's going to be Doug Baldwin. So if, if Lockett can pair with Doug Baldwin, this is going to be um, really interesting to watch who these other receivers are that are going to tag along with, with Baldwin and Lockett being the quicker, shiftier receivers. And going down the list of the other receivers, um, it's going to be stacked because, again, Baldwin and Lockett, uh, we talked about Brown and we talked about Marshall, but Damari Stringfellow has come over. Um, he's a guy that transferred from University of Washington to, like, Montana, if I remember right. But a big-bodied receiver, and he's, uh, he's a guy that's intriguing because he looks like DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, probably won't play like him, but he looks like him. So... Um, that's, that's a good start right there. So another big body, and we'll see what happens, um, kind of complementing uh, the smaller, smaller receivers. But 
moving along in that in that line, it's Marcus Johnson, Amari Darbo, and David Moore. So that's seven guys right there. And then I'm not even really talking about Tanner McVoy because um, I think he's done. I I don't I don't really like Tanner McAvoy anymore. His hands we had issues last year. It just he didn't look like the guy we thought he might be. Um, and he was a little bit of a project, like you know, as we know, the Hawks like to do. Um, kind of played all over the place uh, in college. So I think he drops off here. And I think we're making a choice with five or six guys out of the seven guys I just named. So we'll see what happens. But the fight's going to be, um, honestly, Brown, Marshall, Stringfellow, Johnson, Darbo, and Moore are all fighting it out for spots. I think Baldwin and Lockett are the locks. I think those guys are in. Um, I think most would agree. But it'll be interesting to see what else happens here. So, um, no, but this is, this is a, this is a fun time. Just kind of see how things will, things will shake out and really early on. Um, let's go to the backup quarterbacks. Um, cause Austin Davis is Austin Davis. I, I think he, he's got that veteran, um, quality about him. He's not too flashy. I mean, we all remember him beating the Seahawks, right? Back when he was the Rams quarterback. So we know that he can do something, right? He can come in in a spot and he can, he can make some plays, um, so we just kind of know what we're getting with him. It's not too special, not too flashy, but Alex Magoo, that's the guy I want to talk about, obviously. And he, he's been having some real issues in training camp. And I, I kind of expect to hear that from a rookie quarterback, to be honest. But uh, kind of the, the reports back are that he's, he's basically, in some plays, he's stopped the play, and he's actually asked Schottenheimer for help. And, and Schottenheimer's basically said, well, just just go with another play. Just go with it. We can't, we can't stop. If this is a game, we can't stop and ask questions. We have to keep going. So this is interesting because it's kind of like the, uh, you know, the kid that graduates from high school, comes into college, thinks it's going to be the same, and then realizes it's, it's, it's way harder, right? And after that first you know, semester, they're like, oh, my gosh, this is uh, not what I expected. It's, a, it's another level. So we'll see how uh, Alex can do moving forward, but that's interesting because I – I've heard great things about him athletically. He's got a great arm. He's obviously more of a classic quarterback size. I think he's 6'4", 6'3", and a quarter or whatever. But, uh, yeah, moving forward, that'll be, that'll be something that, you know, how many quarterbacks do we keep? Do we go Wilson, Davis, Magoo? Like, do we keep all three? What do we do? Um, that's a story. That's something to watch. So um, let's go to a, a really fun group on the offense while we're staying on offense, and let's go to the running backs. So, um. I have heard now from press conferences that Chris Carson has done and reports back, plus the mock game that just happened, that he looks amazing. And Chris Carson's a, uh, he's kind of like your gladiator, right? He's your body beautiful guy that you, you send out against anybody else's, uh, you know, a guy like that on their squad, right? Okay, this is our, this is our champion, um, kind of like what Cam Chancellor brought, right? Just, just imposing physically. You look at him and you say, that guy looks like he's really good at running back. Or like Cam Chancellor, that guy looks like he's going to be the best safety in the game at his position. So um, that's just cool on paper. But uh, reports are Carson's smooth. He looks great. He's actually, um, he says, he's stronger and and harder muscular-wise than he was last year. I don't know how that's possible. Um, If it is and he's doing that, that's, that's phenomenal. That's great to hear because... He's already a power back, in my opinion, but he moves really smooth. He's kind of like Chris Warren, 
I mean, we, he can just glide through. Not really, really fast, but great vision, very versatile. And then again, with his hands, unlike we saw like against the Titans last year, uh, can run some routes and make some, make some catches in traffic. I mean, this is really a positive. Um, so I'm a big Carson fan, obviously. A lot of us are looking forward to him being healthy this year, seeing what he can do. Uh, his partner in the backfield, obviously, Rashad Penny, right? We just drafted him, put a lot of stock in him, um, be, being a first-round pick and all there at the end. It was a little bit surprising, but when we look at Penny, it starts making sense why we went the direction we went and, and drafted Penny because um, we're going back to the identity of, of a hard-nosed run attack where we control the clock, impose our will on the other team, and basically uh, get into the second half of games and keep pounding a defensive line. So I think... We're going back to, to Pete Carroll ball all the way. We lost our way a little bit the last couple of years. We're refocusing on what we do best. And um, it's guys like Chris Carson and Rashad Penny that are going to do that for us. And I kind of like the fact that I'm saying both those names together equally because that's, I think, going forward. Let, let's look at what each guy does best. And I think that's what Schottenheimer is going to do. He's going to say, hey, this is what Carson does best. This is his package. This is what Penny does best. This is his package. Um, and moving forward, have these two backs that are both strong runners. Um, they're the ideal sea hockey size that we always see. You know, they're in that 5'11", 6'2", 225 to 235. And actually, Penny came into camp weighing 236. This is, uh, this is 20 pounds heavier than Marshawn Lynch was when he came over from the Bills in that trade. So um, this, is, this is interesting. I mean, this guy's going to be... Based on that weight, this guy's able to take some hits, I would say. But he's also got great field vision. If you watch his tape from San Diego State, he finds space and he keeps people away from him. He's cut and go. So uh, this will be really interesting to watch moving forward. But uh, in general, both guys have looked good in camp. Um, I think the most exciting thing about this is that our entire running back group is young. And there's so many possibilities now. It's great to have players where you know they haven't hit their, their potential yet. So... It's kind of feeling like the Hawks of 2010. We started bringing guys in. We didn't know if they were good or not, but we knew we had the youth movement. So we knew that some guys were going to hit, maybe others not. And obviously we hit on a lot of them. So where we are right now is, um, hey, if we hit on a lot of these guys, watch out, right? I mean, this could be the, the next wave. So I, I, it kind of reminds me of 2010, like I say, which is exciting. Um, we obviously had an incredible run in the draft in 10, 11, 12. I mean, I don't know how it gets any better than that. And that's what's made the Super Bowl, Super Bowl run possible. And it's made the you know, five years in a row playoffs possible, really, is, is having that, that depth from phenomenal drafting and then hitting on these young guys that have developed into um, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro style players. Um, so staying on the, the running backs, the, the depth at running back is also really a, a story here because... Let's start with um, a guy that's been around for a couple of years now. But So behind Car- uh, Carson and Penny as a starter, C.J. Procise. So frustrating to watch, right? I mean, he's, what he's good at is not staying healthy, unfortunately. But in his um, few plays, it seems like he's even been involved in his NFL career, he's played really good football. Uh, when he's healthy, it looks to me like he's a brilliant receiving running back. Sometimes he even looks more like a receiver, obviously, and, and the toughness uh, is an issue, as we've seen, and, and kind of being able to play 
injured because in the NFL, you're going to get injured a lot. You're not going to be at 100%. You're going to have to be able to just get out there and be reliable because that's a huge quality for players is, is being able to play and being able to be reliable. But So um, if we can have ProSize healthy, that's a different kind of, kind of game for us behind our lead backs. But um, this is why guys like uh, McKissick, J.D. McKissick, and, and, and Mike Davis are so big, right? Because that's that third down back group. Um, I think Mike Davis is a third down back, but also obviously a backup to the Penny and Carson duo. Um, and then as training camp unfolds, I, I, I don't know that we keep all those guys, right? Because um, we're doing a fullback set this year. I think we're going back to classic fullback. So um, how many guys do you keep? I mean, do you keep four or five? What do you do? Um, so, so the battle there for third down back, if I were just to go with my, my gut on this, I mean, just track record of being healthy, J.D. McKissick was healthy all year last year um, and is explosive. Pro size would be the guy you'd want, but he'd have to actually stay on the field. So I, I can envision a world here where it's Penny Carson leading the, leading the charge. Penny might be leaning towards getting more carries um, at his size and the style of runner that he is. Um, and Carson will be a specialist with what he does, and Schottenheimer will find a, a way for him to play. But because um, he's just he's a phenomenal athlete, and I think he's he's exactly what the Hawks need as well as uh, as, as Penny. But um, I could see Davis getting a little bit of time behind those two just to spell them. Um, maybe even play like a pseudo fullback role in some sets, just because he's there, right? And and that's a dynamic. Um, but also. Now you have J.D. McKissick and ProSize behind, behind them in the third down rolls. And I, even if ProSize is healthy, I think McKissick stays on the team. I mean, he's, he's too versatile. I mean, if, if Lockett goes down on returns, you're putting J.D. McKissick in there. That's what it seems like. So um, the Hawks have proven and will, will continue to do this. When a guy is a special teams um, capable player, he's going to stay on this roster, especially if he's also able to, to – uh, to play anywhere on offense and add depth. So I don't think McKissick goes anywhere. So anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with that group. But um, this is exciting, though. I mean, we, we've spent the co- last couple of years just going, okay, well, we picked the wrong running backs, right? Of all the guys available, we went the wrong direction. The Eddie Lacy thing was a terrible experiment. Um, couldn't have gone worse. And, you know, I, I'll leave it at that with the backfield because it's, since Marshawn's been gone, it's been a nightmare. So this is great. I mean, this is uh, – this is the the way to the way to rebuild this. You know, put a throw a lot of darts at the board and see how close you can get to a target because all these guys are young athletic players. This is this could be something special. We'll see what happens. And if they hit on two or three of these guys, that's great depth. Plus it backs up injuries. So good stuff there. Um, let's let's bounce to tight ends. So what we'd hope to hear about Will Disley coming out of the University of Washington is that he was as good a blocker as what we thought we all saw on tape and what everybody said about him. You know, Mike Mayock was out there at the Combine saying, this is my third best tight end, this is why. Um, you know, this guy's the best blocking tight end in the draft. And right away when I heard that, I was like, well, he's a local guy. I'm a Husky fan. I'm a Husky. So I, I know his game. Um, you want to stay away from bias when that all happens, but turns out the facts are Disley is a really good blocker. We've actually heard... Um, now through the reports, Russell Wilson's press conference and Pete Carroll's after the mock game was that 
Disley is looking like uh, as solid a blocker as they could have hoped for, and that uh, basically he's as hard a worker as they've seen since a guy like Zach Miller in terms of doing the right things and having the right attitude about it. So if you, if you all recall, when we had Zach Miller, it was a Super Bowl run, right? It was a Super Bowl victory as well. So we, um, we need a reliable tight end that will do everything it takes. I like Jimmy Graham just because, you know, he's the big, uh, the big tight end that can go up and get the ball. But where I was really frustrated about it was he lacked toughness. I mean, for his size, too, that was surprising, but he couldn't block at all. We've all seen the, the replays where he just basically either sloughs a guy off, doesn't even try to block, or he completely misses. Um, he had no interest in, in getting himself in there uh, and, and making a block. He just wanted to go out and catch a pass. We need a guy that will catch a pass and have great hands like Disley, but we'll get in there and we'll block when needed. And actually, uh, Disley's coming in at he's 6'3 and change, but he's 270. So <clears throat> he's a little bit heavier than Graham, and he's about three and a half inches shorter. Um, so he's a little bit thicker, actually, if you can imagine that. Graham was sort of a thin-waisted uh, guy, you know, but he, he looked like he could be tougher than he was. Disley just looks like the guy you need to have to uh, come in there and basically just be another lineman, but then be able to come out there into the flat and just make some catches, be a smart tight end, find the soft zones, do all the things he needs to do. And um, it sounds like this guy's really going to be a good ball player. Another thing Wilson said about him was his professionalism and professionalism and game knowledge were both extremely impressive. So um, to me, that means he's looking like more experienced than a typical rookie that comes in and, and does those types of things. So that's, that's awesome to note, too. Um, so the other thing that, that was mentioned about um, Will Disley, and <clears throat> Pete Carroll said this, too, is that uh, he – when this comes from Pete, I think I'm a little bit more, um, I, don't know, I, I take it more seriously because, you know, Russell Wilson, like I said, we all love Russ, but he's, he's cliche and he's going to say that his players are the best in the game. That's what he does. And that's not a bad attitude to have, but we've all heard that before. Um, but Pete said he was extremely surprised with, with Disley's ability um, already too. So he said that coming in, um, he expected Disley to have issues with the with the playbook, maybe how to integrate, and and basically Pete Carroll gave a huge nod to uh, Coach Pete over there at UW. He said, you know that program is is getting these guys pro ready because right now, what I'm hearing from Pete Carroll, and I don't, this could be Pete being positive this early in training camp, but that Will Disley is plug and play right now. I mean he's he's a pro style tight end now. If this is true, uh, this is really exciting. I mean, we could, we couldn't be um, more excited for for this. I mean, I think the the two groups that we really um, have been waiting to get going are the running back and tight end groups, right? And it, the frustrating part is we brought guys in at running back since uh, Lynch's exit, and we haven't been able to make it work. And when we brought Jimmy Graham in after we lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots, uh, that never really worked either. And I, the guys we've chosen at both those positions have not been a fit for our system, and that's. Simply put, I think now what we're doing is finding guys, identifying guys that fit our system, which is not always the idea. I mean, you're going to get better stats out of guys usually that fit your system. And what I mean by stats are efficiency. You might not get 10 touchdowns, but if you looked at Jimmy Graham's stats last year, he had 10 touchdowns, but how many catches did he have and how many yards did he have? Both of those are somewhat poor for someone of his, uh, his caliber in terms of receiving. And I'd rather have a guy like Disley that actually can come in here and catch 50 balls 
Maybe he'll get six or seven touchdowns, but he's blocking for the run for the running backs. He's creating, um, you know, lanes for everybody that way. But also, he's a safety blanket. He's out there and he's got great hands. Some, if the receivers aren't open, and he's able to expose the defense, um, that's that's what you want. So, I don't know. The Seahawks aren't a aren't a team that that wants what Jimmy Graham wanted, right? Jimmy Graham wants eight or nine catches a game. And he pro- he'll probably get that there in Rodgers, so, so congrats to him um, on that. But in the Hawks system, three or four catches for a tight end when the time is right is perfect. I mean, three or four catches, 30 yards, 40 yards, maybe a touchdown here and there, but do your job, you know. Um, be, a, be a well-rounded football player. That's the, that's the goal with a Seahawks tight end. So... Um, I think Disley's part of that movement now, and this is exciting to see. And then, you know, Ed Dixon, obviously, um, veteran tight end, known for some blocking. Um, I don't know. I, I The jury's out for me on that one still. I I think he gave him a three-year contract, uh, affordable, but I don't, I don't know if he's going to be much more than Disley from what I'm hearing. We have to see some games, but... Hey, I mean, if Disley hits, um, that's going to be a, that's going to be great right there. So that's going to carry that that group, because then we can we can have guys like that in our in our system moving forward and and full buy in, full buy in is awesome. Um, so I have I have a couple more notes on um, on the offense, and one of the things from the mock game that just happened on Saturday was. Both Wilson and Carroll said that the offense looked really sharp and played really sharp. Um, the games are with Carson catching a touchdown pass and run down the sidelines. So, yeah, it's a practice game, but that's that's awesome. Um, Mike Davis and J.D. McKissick look really sharp and quick, and that's good too. We need those guys to be healthy. And like I said, this is a this is great because this this group of guys that are trying to fight it out. I mean. Brian Schottenheimer's job now is to identify who does what well, how that's going to work with the offense, and worry less about high volume like a lot of other teams might do. I mean, if you have a superstar, you're going to give him a lot of carries, right? You're going to give him a lot of opportunities to catch passes. But when you identify the right players and they all do their jobs, that equates to victories, right? That's how you win football games. It's not wow, we didn't win, but look how good a game so-and-so had. They had all these catches. Well, yeah, but if that's a one-dimensional approach, you're probably not winning that game on that Sunday. So, um, yeah, this is, this is fun to watch. Um, versatility is key. And then, again, identifying the strengths and weaknesses of these guys and, and, and moving them around and figuring out what's the best combination um, is a great problem to have right now. And we're just flushing out the old and coming in with the new here. This is a new attack that's going to be um, one that I think some of it's going to stick. I mean, we're not, when you have this many moves and this many new guys and this youth, uh, some of it's going to work out. So what works out, that'll be exciting to watch. Let's go to the defense um, and some, uh, some stories that we've seen so far. Um, let's, let's start with uh, Shaquem Griffin, just because that's, that's a fun one to start to start following, right? We all know the story now, and how can you not be a, a fan of this guy, right? And what he's uh, what he's accomplished in his life, and so 
so he's been able to uh, play for KJ. KJ's been out with a little, little, little banged up here the last couple of days. So um, the Mott game, he played for KJ Wright, and he's also been playing some special teams. And so Pete Carroll said he's looking like a good fit just because he's flying around. He's really intense. Um, he's, he's not afraid of contact. This guy's, a, this guy's a linebacker through and through, right? He's a tough player. Um, but the high energy he brings to the team, it's a leadership quality because everybody respects where he's come from, what he's accomplished in his life, uh, what he's overcome is like probably the, the most important thing for other players to, to uh, latch on to and, and respect him and follow kind of what he's saying, what he's doing. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say too much about Shaquem Griffin because obviously we all love the story, so we're all big fans. We want it to work out. Um, so, yeah, it's one of those things where I would say that I'll tamper my enthusiasm a little bit, right? I will uh, try not to get too excited about it, but, um, you know, playing with his brother, getting into the system, saying he's loving what's going on, um, he's going to be very dedicated. That's, those are all good signs. But another good thing is he's got Bobby and KJ bringing him up a little bit too. That's going to be huge. I mean, these guys are, I don't care what you say about KJ, right? He's Pro Bowl level linebacker. He just doesn't make Pro Bowls. But uh, we all know Bobby. Bobby's one of the best in the, in the game. So um, this is this is a great place for him to come in and just learn, right? Listen in the film room. Listen in the linebacking group, and, and take it all in, and then translate it on the field. And this guy hasn't failed at anything he's tried to do his whole life, except have that second hand. So <laughs> he's going to overcome this too. And he's gonna he's gonna integrate himself into this NFL team, and he's gonna be a special player. Um, you can't teach or replace the heart the guy has. Anyway, um, let's go to his brother. Let's go to Shaquille. Let's talk about cornerback uh, and and um, Shaquille has uh, come into left cornerback. He is Richard Sherman's old spot. We all knew that was gonna happen. And I don't know a couple of interviews that have happened with. Uh, Q13 and stuff like that. I mean, he's he's more polished now when he's talking about his game. And we've heard things like, well, he's working on the step kick and you know, anywhere he is right now all the time. He's trying to perfect this this move and he's uh he doesn't want the legion of boom to go away. And I love that about his attitude because I mean, he's our new starting quarterback cornerback in the on the left side he, he needs to be the leader of that group and he said a legion is a group of of players it, it could be the whole team so he says a legion of boom won't go away because even though it got it was started by a group of specific players even if all those players are gone it can still be the legion of boom because it is a legion not a group specific group of players um i don't know i i don't know that i'm totally 100 percent in agreement with that but i will say i love the attitude again because um saying it's not gone and him not willing to accept that means hey he's he's going for proving us all wrong that we still have a legion of boom so i can't argue with that at all um so that this is this is exciting to watch i think um one thing we were frustrated with with Shaq was last year he had one pick, and we were all waiting for the picks. Every week, is, you're just waiting for him to jump around, waiting for him to get his hand on the ball. So I don't know. 
he positionally seems like a very, very savvy cornerback. You know, and he, he checked the boxes for, for Pete and John, the arm length and everything, the 40 time and um, whatnot, all the other metrics. But obviously he's a little over six feet tall. But, uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for the ball skills to come into play, which I'm, that's fine. I mean, rookie year, you're not – you had a lot of looks because Richard was on the other side, but I think they'll come. I mean, that's the thing about um, picks and turnovers that way. Guys can go on droughts, but it doesn't mean they're not good corners, right? So let's see how that all unfolds. But this is a year, too, where he's owning that group. He is the left corner. So um, that's going to change a lot with the, with the way the dynamics work and then probably translate more to him making some more plays um, as he becomes one of the leaders on the, on the secondary. Staying in the secondary, um, the guy that we just, we just drafted, um, Trey Flowers, who actually played with Chris Carson at Oklahoma State. <clears throat> the 6'4 corner that used to play safety, which is great because, as Pete Carroll mentioned, this guy's um, he's got a lot of experience as a result of that. And that's, that's a really good thing. Um, he was on Brandon Marshall in the mock game and holding his own a little bit, which is nice to see. But uh, Pete said that he's he's – He's kind of buying in on everything really quick, and he's looking pretty good. Pete says this when we're early in, right, because he's really positive, and that's a good quality about Pete Carroll. But um, what I like hearing, though, is he's, he's keeping up with the receivers because all the stuff that Pete teaches can be learned, and with time you get better at it. So Flowers is coming in with a lot of tools. I mean, he's that, that, that tall body, long arms. Um, you know, it's hit and miss with a lot of these cornerbacks. Um, but if he turns out and he works out, he's exactly what we need in terms of size. So going over the top is impossible on a guy that tall. He'd be the tallest corner we've had since Browner with better ball skills um, and a better 40 time. So be excited to watch him moving forward. Um, another story on the secondary that I, I think we all kind of, <clears throat> we've seen the guy play and we like him, Bradley McDougal. So he signed a, a really team-friendly contract, especially what we're used to seeing with our secondary because those are our all-pro players. So we're used to paying high premiums. Um, so what, I, what it looked like to me was a bargain. But so we're McDougal then. He can play free and strong safety. That's huge. But, um, you know, he's gaining more confidence from players. He's been in our system a, few, a couple years now. And he had a pick in the mock game. Um, I think he's starting to take a leadership role in the secondary as well. So, you know, we got the whole Earl thing hanging over our heads. Um, and uh, Travis and I will talk about the Earl thing uh, separately as that thing continues. But, um, no, I mean, having Bradley in there to kind of just solidify that spot or the, the safety position is really important right now because it make, makes you feel less, not panicked, but less worried about the situation because if we're rebuilding – Earl's probably not part of another championship anyway, right? Um, like I said, we'll, Travis and I will touch on that more, but um, Bradley McDougal's a good player to bridge this right now. I think he's almost the perfect player. And I would contend, too, that he's actually a better cover guy than Cam Chancellor was. And that, that'll help us, too. Um, there's nobody like Cam Chancellor. There probably won't be um, 
on the Seahawks for some time, if ever again, right? Because he was just the enforcer. Uh, nobody's going to be like Bam Bam Cam, but uh, Bradley McDougal at least is going to come in there. He's, he's, a, he's a pro, so he's going to get the job done. And I would say actually in safeties in the NFL, he's in the, I don't know, he's probably in the first half, right at the end of the first half of the safeties in the league. I mean, he's not that bad at his position. So, um, you know, see what happens with another year, but him kind of possibly taking a starting role, you might fly with it a little bit more than knowing he's a backup every week. So, um, last position I wanted to touch on here and we'll wrap up kind of what I've seen so far in training camp, um, the defensive line and offensive line. So <clears throat> I guess let's do offensive line first since we, we did tackle originally tackle offense first. Um, I like the fact the Seahawks extended Dwayne Brown. I'm sure everyone else out there, the Hawk fans do as well. Uh, extending Brown was huge because that's saying to Russ and the whole organization, we have had a hard time since Russell Okun. When we drafted him the same year we drafted uh, Earl. Finding that left tackle that can just sit there and be a Pro Bowl-level left tackle and protect Wilson's blind side. I mean, we've just struggled. So Brown's probably the answer, at least another two or three years. This is awesome. And uh, Travis and I will touch on this a little bit more, too. Um, this is exciting news. This is something that also shows the team's commitment to go back to what I referred to earlier, that running game. We want to go back to that hard-nosed running game. It's like it starts with guys like your left tackle. If you want to go back to it, um, how many years now have we struggled with the offensive line? It's just been a, you know, cue the clown, the clown music um, and circus music and just rotate these guys in and out, and they just weren't playing well. So I'm hoping that, you know, the Tom Cable change to Mike Solari, I'm hoping that that's going to help. I'm hoping that, you know, Brown being there now shows the commitment. Um, Justin Britt has once we moved him and he became a center, he's really been pretty good. He's was a top fifteen center in the league the last uh, last year. I mean that was that's great. So um, Ethan Posic, we're hoping that he comes in, he gets stronger. That's one thing we identified last year. Something he needed to do. He was getting uh, he's getting pushed around a little bit, but um, I understand he's gained about twenty pounds of muscle. In the offseason, he's looking really good. So uh, if he pans out, you start going left to right, things are looking looking better. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say on paper they look better because I also think the players are just better. So I think we got both going for us. Um, and I don't think we can be any worse than we've been. And even though that doesn't sound too promising, I actually think um, we're going to be a lot better than we were. So, you know, going left to right <clears> – <throat> For sure, you got Brown on the left on the left tackle. We know that. I mean, Posich, uh, I I'm left guarding him right now. Uh, makes sense. That's where he's been playing, and more experience under his belt, and that 20 pounds of muscle is going to help. And then uh, Justin Britt, and then DJ Flukers that going to take that right guard spot. I think we all know that's most likely what's happening. But what I really love is getting Jr. Sweezy back. Um, Team friendly signing adds depth. He's there too. He also is part of identifying us as a, now a, a tougher line to deal with because guys like Squeezy, we know that guy, I mean, he's got a mean streak. And he and Fluke are both, to me, represent the fact that we are uh, going back to what the days we had uh, Unger at center, um, who was a really good center. But the days, think about when we had Hutchinson at guard. 
and Walter Jones, right? That's the best lineman we've ever had at one time. And I would say that right now, Brown is the next best lineman we've had after those guys, even with his age. And with the potential postage has and Britt playing pretty well and then bringing guys like Fluker and Sweezy in, you're mixing up really good linemen with, uh, or above average linemen with guys that have the mean streak and the toughness, right? That's huge. So then continuing um, down the line, I, so right tackle for me is, since we're so early on anyway, the, the guys I've mentioned so far, I think that's how it's going to go, but right tackle for me is the, the toughest because I want George Fant to be there. Um, that means I want him to develop into a right tackle, but he's used to left. A lot easier said than done. It's totally opposite, everything you need to do. Um, and Jermaine Fetty has been terrible. And, and actually, Pete Carroll... Even Pete Carroll said after the mock game, this early into the training camp, he was very disappointed in Effetti. So that this is uh, this is not what we wanted to hear as Seahawks fans because now we're thinking, okay, who else do we have in the, in the depth now, right? Um, guys like Isaiah Battle. Um, I mean, what what are you going to do? Is this going to be like this another one of these, uh, you know? Around, going around the whole, uh, the whole depth and trying to figure out who's going to play right tackle all year? Are we going to be trying to identify right tackle or what? So is Fant going to be able to come over there? Uh, are we going to just take guys like Battle and say, hey, you're better than a Fetty because he's terrible right now? So right tackle is something we need to figure out. It's, it's a little, uh, little interesting right now. Again, still early enough in the, in, the, uh, in the training camp that I could see a couple guys coming in just trying to get their feet wet, just seeing how they stick. But I think Effetti has now almost worked his way into being the expensive backup guy because he's. it sounds like strike three is coming, if it hasn't already come, with Pete Carroll's statement. So um, Let's go to the defensive line <clears throat> and wrap this up. Uh, <clears throat> what I'm seeing from the defensive line right now is the versatility we were hoping to have at the tackle positions. And what I mean by that is when we got Tom Johnson and Shamar Steven from Minnesota – and we kind of needed to, right? Because we lost a guy to Minnesota ourselves. And it, I'm hearing those guys look great, and they're actually versatile. So you may move them around a little bit, but um, I think what we look forward to the most is Jaron Reed and his development because we've heard great things about Jaron Reed. And then, obviously, uh, Nas Jones, right? He was injured last year. Um, but he had some he had some great play in some spots, and I, I I'm a huge Nas Jones fan. I think he's got that really long, really long arms. Um, the longer body you look for, you know, be able to block a pass, right, and gain some leverage with the length of your arms. Um, whereas Reed's a little bit stockier, but uh, Reed's the leader in that group. I'd, I'd say it right now, based on um, being younger and having experience in the system. So that's cool. But here's another guy that I think um, coming in, this is intriguing to me. He reminds me of Brandon Meebane a little bit, but he's shorter. This Puna Ford out of Texas. Um, 5'11 and change, but this guy's uh, just that low center of gravity, heavy legs, just anchor. And I'm wondering how he's going to pan out. And actually, I'm excited about him adding depth and just seeing what he does because, I don't know, at his position, you don't, at that tackle position, you don't need to be 6'4. I mean, Brandon Meebane was six feet, but that low center of gravity 
you, you could just bowl guys over. So Ford's got that mean streak. And I remember before the draft, that was a name I identified. I, I heard a lot of good things about him, that he's either going to be undrafted or drafted late. So th- th- it's cool that we ended up getting him after the draft. It's cool that we ended up making the call, getting him to come in, um, because I think we do well with this kind of player. You know, this is a guy that I can see our system and our coaching taking, and if anything, high quality depth. But the motor he has, uh, this is this is exciting to watch. So again, defensive line. Um, one other guy, one guy I mentioned on the in the tackle or end combination, Quentin Jefferson. Hopefully, he can be healthy and add to that group as well. Um, I know he's been dealing with some health issues last year and a half, but. Uh, Getting him out of Maryland, I thought he was identified as a replacement, possible replacement for Michael Bennett, but he's actually now plus, plus size. Uh, I think he's actually kind of a tweener between that tackle and end. Um, now onto the DN, so I, I'm more concerned here. Obviously, um, it's it's scary to think that you lost Averill and Bennett in the same offseason, right? I mean, how do you make up for that? So Frank Clark's got to be our guy. I think we can all agree Frank Clark has got to be a Pro Bowl-level defensive end. And he's, he said in this offseason he wants to break, uh, I think, the Michael Sinclair record, the 16-sack record. Um, and, and he can do it. He has the tools to do it, but we need him to pan out. And he's in a contract year, so we... Uh, Hopefully he's playing for that contract and earns it. And if he plays really well and he gets 12 to 16 sacks, boy, wouldn't that be awesome if he had 16 sacks? But, yeah, we're paying him at that point because he identified himself as one of the better ends in the game. So that, that to me, that's huge, right? And Deion Jordan. So when he did play last year, Deion Jordan looked great. I mean, in, what was it? Did he have... Five sacks in four games or four sacks in five games, whatever it was. Um, talk about Gladiator, too. That guy, uh, that's another guy that just looks like he can dominate you. And, you know, he's 6'7". Um, thin waist, 6'7", really athletic. So I'm hoping Deion Jordan, I'm hoping he can, he can make it. Um, because with, with uh, Frank Clark... Kind of on paper, I'm looking at Jordan and Clark being the guys right on the end, so we need them to pan out. Um, if they don't, we're in trouble because the guys backing them up coming in, um, there's a little bit of experience there, but they're not, they're not this, the same athletes. So when you, know, you, when you know you've identified those athletes that can be your main rushers, you, you have to be able to stick with them. It's, it's too scary to think about um, you know, what, what's going to happen if – if those guys don't pan out, and then the depth behind them. So anyway, uh, that's what I had so far. Um, hopefully this is, uh, if you hadn't had a chance to, to dig in any, into any of the uh, Seahawks offseason and training camp yet, hopefully this has been kind of a well-rounded view for you of what's going on. Um, didn't really go into special teams with the uh, kicking game yet because I think that's, let's wait, let's wait on that one um, until closer to the season starting. All those guys kick balls through uprights and, and punt things around just to see what happens. But um, anyhow, look forward to uh, moving forward here with you guys on the Seahawks side of our Blue Wave podcast. And like I said, um, we'll be having Travis join me 
all season. It's it's kind of uh, going to be a back and forth. Um, be willing to kind of take some questions too as we as we get into things on the on the Hawks, and it'll be more exciting to kind of start seeing some games. So, um, till next time, we'll talk to you later.